Welcome to Perimenopology, where we explore and converse about what it means to transition out of the young, hot, fertile, and fuckable box that our society labels as most worthy when you were socialized as a woman. Around here, we're all about body literacy and talking about the topics that society tells us are unimportant or inappropriate. I'm Michelle Kapler, reproductive acupuncturist, Chinese medicine practitioner, and master feminist confidence coach, and you've got episode number 26. Hello, hello, my friend. Thank you so much for listening to Perimetopology. In today's episode, I'm sharing my interview with Christina Vero, who is a colleague and friend of mine who lives in the same area as I do. We've known each other for a few years and refer to each other professionally. And I had her on the podcast a little while ago. Uh, that's my other podcast, the Infertility Stress Podcast, to talk about disenfranchised grief. And I highly recommend listening to that episode because I think it's also applicable here. I'll put that link in the show notes in case you want to click and find it easily. In this episode, in this conversation, we talk about which emotions can come up around the perimenopausal transition, including grief and how that works. What are the five stages of grief and how do they play out during perimenopause? We talk about valid emotions versus being hormonal, and we talk about what tools can be applied to help process and accept these emotions, and then lots of advice for people to prepare for this transition ahead of time. Before I share this conversation, I want to give you Christina's professional bio. Christina Vero is a registered psychotherapist and holistic nutritionist who is dedicated to helping people feel less stuck in life and reducing stigma overall. She honors this mission through providing psychotherapy and nutritional counseling at her wellness clinic, Fresh Insight, which offers support for people of all ages and backgrounds. Christina's determination to spread her knowledge and passion to others has allowed her clinic to help people nationally and internationally, and she has shared her expertise with a number of media outlets, including Flair, Canadian Living, Elle Canada, and a number of podcasts. When she isn't at work, she can be found knitting her 900th pair of socks and forcing affection on her cats. So without further ado, here is my interview with Christina Vero. Welcome, Christina. Thanks so much for being here with us today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. So Christina and I have been following each other for a couple of years now, and she was actually on my other podcast um, about fertility and the Fertility uh, Stress Podcast. And she offered such amazing insights on disenfranchised grief on that episode that I wanted to bring her back and talk about grief and emotions as we move through this process of perimenopause because she gave some really amazing insights last time. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you today. Oh, me too. Me too. So let's just dive right in. So I think that one thing that we commonly explore on the podcast is this idea that perimenopause is a transition that I often refer to as kind of a second puberty, which essentially means permanent changes in our bodies. And when we think back to our teenage years, that process of our bodies changing into a completely different thing at the end of the transition, it can be pretty intense. A lot of emotions come up a lot of questions come up, a lot of considering how we relate to ourselves and our peers and our families and our outside world, all that comes up. And it's almost an identity change that has to happen through this transition. So I'm wondering if you could talk about some of the feelings that might come up for folks who are navigating this change on this end of our lives. Absolutely. I think that grief applies very, very well here and not just grief, but I actually even think the five stages of grief 
work really well. So, I mean, first of all, why are we grieving in the first place? I think grieving our old bodies, for lack of a better word, I'm doing air quotes for people who can't see, but you know, our older bodies that feel more useful, but also everything that that represents in Western society, right? I've talked to a lot of women who are going through menopause or, or are older, and they say that they just feel very invisible in society at a certain point, which is extremely heartbreaking. But imagine grieving that as well, like grieving visibility of just being a human being that's recognized in in our culture. Like that is so heartbreaking to me. But in terms of those five stages of grief, and what I want to say is that a big misconception about these is that they're supposed to be sequential and linear. They're not. They are just things that you might experience. You also might not experience all of them. And that's not just with grieving your body, but grief in general, right? So the first one is denial. In this case, I would say that Instead of denial, I would just say a lack of awareness because this is something that a lot of people don't even talk about. I I didn't even know what perimenopause was until a shockingly late age in life, considering I'm a woman with access to free healthcare. It's pretty interesting that many people don't even know that this exists. So instead of denial, I'm sure it's just, oh, I didn't even know that this was coming. Um, Then we can have that anger about, I feel like my body's betraying me. I feel like I don't know my body. There's a lot of difficult symptoms that people can experience as well that they get angry about having. Um, There's also bargaining. So, you know, if I go on this diet, maybe I'll feel better about myself. If I get this plastic surgery, maybe I'll feel better. And all of the things that come with that depression because of the losses that you're going through, and especially the response that you might get from, like we were saying before, you know, Western culture. And I know a lot of Women too experience a lot of shame about this period of time or menopause as well, just feeling like it signifies that they're no longer a sexual person in any capacity, right? You're just stale and unsexy and all of these awful adjectives that women will say to themselves. And then that last stage of acceptance, which is hopefully where we want to eventually get to, but it it can be so hard, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that using these stages of grief to describe the process can be really eye-opening for people as a process that not only organically happens, but somebody might want to intentionally endeavor to go to all these places to kind of see what it's like. What do you think of that idea? I love that idea. And you know what? I actually, and this is just my stance as somebody who has more of a kind of feminist lens of, I often invite them to lean into the angry anger stage a little bit because I think many women have either not gotten the opportunity to voice that or they might not be as conscious of the ways that there's so much that so many messages that are so harmful to us that we are either aware of or not, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it also gives us an an opportunity, I should say, to explore this idea of, okay, well, I'm getting this message. And this is a thought that my brain is offering me on a very regular basis. And that's obviously coming from somewhere. And it gives us the opportunity to kind of flesh out, well, where is that actually coming from? And do I agree with that? And I do, do I want to continue to think that? And so to, you know, for an example, this idea of you're no longer a sexual person just because you're past a certain age or you're no longer menstruating or maybe your body just works in a different way i mean we don't we could get into this idea of you know a lot of people think of intercourse penis and vagina sex as being the ultimate sex act and that's kind of something that we've been socialized to believe and even questioning that can be huge because after somebody's body changes they just might not be up for penetrative sex anymore 
And what would it look like to actually decide, no, I don't agree with that. And if I don't agree with that, what do I want to agree with? And how do I want to, where do I want to take this? In which direction? So you can end up with a whole bunch of freedom at the end of that anger. But I think experiencing that anger first can be a really beautiful thing. Yes, uh, for sure. And there's this made me think about this concept called female embodiment, which and it doesn't necessarily have to be female, actually, just the concept of embodiment is that all of us have a body that goes through experiences in the world that affects our sense of self. So I think that is so true, but we can have positive embodiment or we can have negative embodiment where we've gone through the world with a certain body that's gone certain reactions that shapes how we see ourselves. And I actually find it really helpful for body image, perimenopause, sorry, or whatever it happens to be, just actually going through this narrative of what is your body's story through life, even from the very beginning, because that might be shaping actually a lot of your responses now. And again, we don't really, nobody really asks us these questions on a day-to-day basis. Like, what does your body think about your life experiences, right? So I find that to be a very eye-opening conversation and practice with people as well. That's really interesting. So could you give us a couple of examples of some questions that people could ask themselves to get started on exploring that? Yeah. So we might go way back and we might say, when a question I ask is, when did you be first become aware of your body? And that can be really interesting too for people. So some people who are a little bit bigger, they might say, oh, I became aware of it when I was like three years old because I had some sort of comment or whatever. Well, I mean, I guess that's that's pretty young, but six years old, I had some sort of comment from somebody in class. And that's when I became aware that I have a body that's different from somebody. So just when did you become aware of your body? I like asking questions too. What what would your body say about that experience? How does your body react to this when we talk about it? What would your body say right now? What does your body say when you say those things to yourself? So almost including the physical body as another entity in the room is also really interesting because most of the times I find that there's such a disconnect. It's like, this is a part of me that I just need to manipulate and control, but I never actually check in with it. And then that might sound like a strange concept, but it's quite interesting to open the floor for that. No, I think that that's actually a concept that we probably touch on, maybe not in those words, but we definitely touch on that concept quite often here when we talk about society and culture and our conditioning and how that affects how we experience our perimenopausal transition. So I think that's a really brilliant question. And then I think it's also interesting to ask, well, what does society say about my body? And do I agree with that? Yes. And another question that can be very painful, you have to do this, I would say, with somebody who's a professional, but when has your body felt violated? And that can be in many different ways, right? Unsolicited comments about your body. Um, There might be some traumas that you've actually had to your physical body. And what did that teach you about yourself, other people, and the world around you? Excellent. I mean, not excellent that people are going through (laughs) traumas, but, you know, excellent question. Yeah, just had to pause and think about it for a second. So, I think it's interesting to kind of compare and contrast. Well, these are the thoughts that are coming up. These are the ideas that are coming up around my body. And these are the emotions that follow or that come along with all of those thoughts. And all of those emotions, I mean, there's no wrong emotion. There's no wrong emotional response to all of these thoughts, of course. You know, grief and anger are two that we have touched on today. But I also like to kind of compare and contrast it to this idea that 
when we're socialized as women, we spend a lifetime being told not to be too emotional, not to be too loud, not to be too big, not to be inconvenient. And then we kind of dismiss and gaslight ourselves, especially in the context of thinking about our menstrual cycles that we're just quote unquote being hormonal. So I get a lot of questions in my work, both with uh, clinical patients and coaching clients. How do I know if my feelings are valid or if I'm just quote unquote being hormonal? What are your thoughts on that? Oh, it's such a good question. I really, really like that question a lot. For, For me, to be honest with you, I think it can be a both and thing because I do think it is empowering. You know, you work with people who are going through PMDD, for example, uh, or they get really, really bad um, PMS before their period, which similarly to this subject. Um, okay, yes, you might both be having these hormonal symptoms that I actually do think are empowering for people to know about. Like, here are some things that you might experience. The most common ones with uh, perimenopause are usually irritability and rage, this very intense rage that you have. So being able to say, okay, there actually might be a hormonal reason behind estrogen levels lowering, my body feels out of whack, and I'm having this response is good. And okay, regardless of the why, what are we going to do in that moment to help you take care of yourself? Right? So I mean, it could be both some hormonal stuff going on, it could be both what we're talking about is the emotional experience of your journey as well. Like just having this depression that you're going through this experience or whatever it happens to be. So I do think that there's a way to validate the emotional experience and the physical experience. I love that idea of, and, and, and (laughs) I talk about that often in my work as well. What if we could consider that your feelings or that the emotions that you're having are valid And also, they might be a little bit of heightenedness because of the hormonal picture that's going on here. And I think the idea is just to not make ourselves wrong for having those strong emotions. Even if it might be heightened because of estrogen, it's still a part of, or progesterone or testosterone or whatever it happens to be in your individual unique circumstance in your body. But I think it's important to just make room for all of it to be there. Absolutely. And and something I talk about with a lot of exactly what you were saying very similarly is catastrophizing is really common when you're going through this type of experience. Uh, so that means it's a cognitive distortion, which is a fancy way of saying that your brain is kind of telling you inaccurate information and catastrophization is when you blow something up. And that can be in, in many, many different contexts. So it's not just, oh, you know, I... Uh, like said some strange comment to the Starbucks barista this morning, it's I'm a bloody idiot, you know, so you go from this very specific thing to making it something about your character. That doesn't just happen in this context, that can happen in a lot of different contexts. But I always invite people in those moments to if you notice yourself catastrophizing, first, become aware of when you do it, and name it out loud or in your head, somehow just Oh, I'm catastrophizing. And B, just remember to keep it specific to the actual event of okay, so for example, my partner didn't clean the dishes. And rather than being like, why are you such an effing slob? Okay, they didn't clean the dishes in this particular moment. And I have some feelings about that. And another piece of that that I find people can find helpful is the problem is the problem, the person is not the problem. So the problem right now is that you're going through these heightened emotions. And just remember that in the context of this situation, not my partner is the problem, or I'm a human being, I'm a problem. You know what I mean? Yeah, I love that so much. I love this idea of um, it, it's kind of that old. And who was it that's 
who was it that did the original quote? I'll need to look it up because I don't want to misquote where this came from. But it's this idea, I think it's from Buddhism, that pain is inevitable and suffering is optional. So, the pain is the idea that you're going to have tough things that happen in life. You're going to experience change. You're going to experience new things. You're going to experience transition. And human brains hate all of those things. They want us to stay the same. They like things to be predictable. They like things to be, you know, a way that we can calculate it and get the best outcome. And we do everything we can to avoid that change. But that is inevitable. And the discomfort that comes along with that is also inevitable. But to layer on top something is wrong with us. And that's the reason why that's happening. That's something that we're just really good at as people socialized as women, because we are taught that if things are happening, it's probably our responsibility to make things right and take care of it and make sure that everything is all right and that we're not too emotional and nobody else is emotional. And so we're not only carrying our own responsibility, but also other people's emotional responsibility as well. Yes. I find an exercise that's really helpful is so somebody will come in and they'll say, you know, I'm being so emotional lately. And I'll say, okay, can you give me a concrete example of a time recently where you felt like that happened? And I will have them in a painfully detailed process tell me, okay, and then what happened next? Like, oh, well, what, what did you feel in your body? And then what did your brain tell you? And then nine times out of 10, where things go south is that there's some sort of reaction to that initial thought or that initial feeling that keeps them feeling horrible. So it's not just, oh, I feel really lonely today. Somewhere in that cascade of events is, I'm so pathetic for feeling lonely. And that's usually what keeps them stuck. And so when we can have some practices around, how do you show yourself some compassion and kindness in those moments versus just making this worse for yourself can be super helpful. I love that. And I want to take it back to something that you said earlier, which was that even just noticing it, even just seeing that it's happening can create a lot of awareness and change around the whole thing. Yes. I find that myself too. I'm a huge catastrophizer. It's just something my brain I've learned really enjoys doing. And now I think there's a bit of an acceptance piece of like, oh yeah, that's my brain and that's what it enjoys, but I don't necessarily need to indulge in it. I can just recognize that, all right, and I'm going to go for a walk and take my catastrophic brain with me if I want to, but... I don't need to buy into it. It's a big difference, right? Yeah, 100%. So to take it to kind of a practical perspective, and you already have given us so many amazing practical things that we can consider, but what are some ways that people can support themselves emotionally during this transition? And I know that that's a big question. I'm talking, you know, a couple of tips that people can use. Yes. So the first thing that my mind goes to is if you're experiencing a lot of irritability or just heightened emotions in general, I'm a firm believer of sometimes coming back to the basics of seeing what we can do to drop that person's baseline reactivity. So simple things that we all know about, but just are good to check in on is what's your caffeine consumption like as a, as a primary spot? Because I mean, if you're already feeling kind of heightened and then you're having three coffees a day, you're just kind of spinning your wheels out a little bit. So are you staying hydrated? Are you watching your caffeine take? How's your sleep? Are you moving your body? Are you using any substances? Just things that, okay, can we make some minor tweaks so that your baseline of reactivity feels a little bit more manageable? Another thing that I think is really important is just talking about this because what we were saying before is that there's so much shame and silence around what women are going through with this. And that's why I'm, I love this podcast because a lot of women might not even know that they're going through this phase. They don't know the symptoms of it, what how to make sense of their experience. But the moment that you can talk to a close friend of yours, talk to a therapist, go to couples therapy, if it's something that you feel would be helpful at this point in your life, 
that's great. Also, if you need to consider some treatments temporarily, if you need to look into a low dose of certain medications at this time in your life, talk to your doctor about that, you know, because I'm just a firm believer of what we, what can we do to set yourself up for success so that you can just go through the day as feeling as healthy as possible. I love that so much. Thank you. And uh, I just want to add a little bit to something you said, I think that was in your second point, which was just learning about it and gaining knowledge. I think that there's so much power in just learning basic 101, what to expect, because it really helps normalize everything. Because we don't talk about this transition in culture to any great extent, I don't know one person that I've met that learned anything about perimenopausal transition in high school sex ed, which in my opinion is when we should learn about it because that is when we are learning about our bodies. But it's just a big mystery. And so, of course, when our bodies start changing, we're going to assume that something's going wrong. But by just learning, hey, it's normal for my skin to change. It's normal for my sexual appetite to change. It's normal for my periods to change. It's normal to have heightened emotions. It's normal to my for my body temperature to go out of whack. It's normal for me to maybe have a little bit or a lot of trouble sleeping. It can help to just take the edge off of that assumption that there's something going wrong or that there's something wrong with you to actually know that it's a normal part of the transition into this next stage of life. Exactly, exactly. And that's coming back full circle to those five stages of grief where we were saying, you know, in this case, I don't even think it's denial. It's just I didn't even know this was happening. So awareness and normalizing goes such a far way, especially in that journey of self-compassion of the the story then shifts from there's something wrong with me to this is something that occurs to people that and how can I now that I know that be kind to myself through that process? I love that question. How can I be kind to myself through that process? So good. And I don't think that it's something that we ask ourselves very often as people socialized as women. Oh, of course not. And you know what self-care looks like in this context might be very different than what self-care looked like in other contexts. Like I know as somebody who experiences extremely horrible periods, they're just awful. My self-care has to be very, like sometimes I just need to be completely by myself because I know I'm horrible on some of those days and it's, I'm going to go into the bedroom by myself. I'm going to have a hot water bottle compress and I'm going to read a book and I don't want to talk to anybody. That's a luxury that I have as somebody without children, of course, and different other things in my life. But the point being that whatever self-care looks like now might be different. And that's also okay. It's just a matter of how can we learn that together for you. So good. Thank you for that. So if somebody is just starting out on this path or this journey, what is a piece of advice that you would give them kind of preemptively, even if nothing's happening yet, but just to kind of set themselves up for, I don't want to say success, but maybe a more tolerable experience emotionally? Yes, I would say there's two things. One is, as we were talking about education. So listening to things like your podcast, speaking with health practitioners who are just informed and educated and also willing to take the time to talk to you. Because sometimes health practitioners can be so busy and I I totally get it, but it can feel like you're going in and out. You don't have any time to ask any questions. So find somebody who you feel comfortable with, who you can slow down, take time to really ask important questions because that's your right as an individual. Um, the second thing that came to mind for me, just circling back to this topic of grief over permanent body changes, I truly believe that so many of us have become unfamiliar with what a normal human being looks like nowadays, honest to God. So many people have work done, you know, everything is photoshopped. 
people see paparazzi images and think that that is the person in their normal day-to-day life. No, they have hired somebody to be at the beach at that time who is their usual photographer that they pay to get at a certain angle. It's so manipulative. And so I really do think that we've lost sight of what does an average human look like in their genuine aging process, in their genuine body. So familiarize yourself with that. Be mindful of who you're watching on social media and media in general. Be more critical about those things. I'm going on a bit of a tangent, but hopefully the point comes across. (laughs) No, absolutely. I think it's an important thing to almost do an audit of the inputs that are coming into our brain all the time. Because if you're, let's say, for example, because yes, paparazzi and like that's a very extreme end of the spectrum. But we also have influencers on Instagram who are using filters. And we're assuming that 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 they don't have wrinkles and that they have flawless skin and that they don't look old, even though the reality of what their bodies look like is very different. So I think even doing a bit of an audit of, well, what is the information that is coming in? How can I curate that on purpose to get a more realistic view of what human bodies actually look like? What accounts can I follow that have real people talking about this in real ways? That can really change just what we're seeing and taking in on a daily basis. That's huge. I love that. Yeah, ex- I love the word audit. That is so, so perfect to use. And that's that's a great piece of advice. Audit what you're consuming. So good. Any last words or pieces of advice that you want to let my audience know about? You know, just just have grace with yourself too. Life is hard enough as it is, you know, like that Buddhist thing that you were talking about. Pain is going to exist in, in so many realms, but we do have some choice over how we're going to respond to those painful things that we go through. And just, I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer of working with a health professional or therapist or just having a safe space where you can unpack some of the things that you're going through without any judgment can also just go such a long way. Oh, I love that. Thank you for that. So speaking of talking to a therapist, you are available if people want somebody to talk to you in a therapy context. So please tell people where they can find you and follow you and work with you. Sure. So our website is fresh-insight.ca. That's the name of our clinic. So Fresh Insight, we do virtual therapy and we also have offices in Markham and Vaughn. And then you can find me as well on Instagram at Christina Vero and I'm on TikTok too at Therapy Christina. Wow, you're on TikTok. I love it when therapists are on TikTok. I don't actually have TikTok myself, but I've heard it's the way to reach the people these days. It is so addictive and very informative. If you get on the right side of TikTok and you need a community around this stuff, honestly, just put in the search bar, perimenopause, you'll find so much stuff and it's very educational. So good. And again, that goes to, let's do an audit of what the inputs are. There's a way to use TikTok that might not create a good mindset. And there's a way to use TikTok that can be a really good way to create a good mindset around it. And good mindset doesn't mean that you're happy and experiencing positive emotions all the time, but I mean a more peaceful mindset. Exactly. Yes. So good. Well, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your wisdom and your expertise. Oh, thank you for having me. So that was my interview with Christina. Please find and follow her and work with her if this conversation spoke to you. I'll link up all of her contact info in the show notes. That's going to be it for me today. Until next time, thanks for listening. If you are loving what you're learning on the podcast and you want to take this work to a deeper level, let's work together. 
If you're a resident of Ontario, Canada, we can work together in a clinical setting, both virtually or in person, to help you find a unique and customized treatment plan to alleviate your perimenopausal symptoms and get you the relief you deserve using Chinese medicine. If you're looking for support with body image, confidence, advocating for yourself in seeking treatment, or just generally making your life as awesome as possible through this transition and beyond, I can help you anywhere in the world through coaching. To learn more about your options for working with me, head to michellecapoya.com and click on work with me on the overhead menu. I can't wait to talk with you. Thank you.